In Luke chapter 8, we see Jesus approached by a demon-possessed man that is completely out of control, completely out of his mind. And this demon, and actually we find out that it's not just a demon, it's a legion of demons. It's uh, thousands of demons inside of one man. And so this man is absolutely out of control. And the Bible says that um, in verse 27, when uh, Jesus stepped out on the land, uh, where he had just come over, crossed over to the other side, lands at this place, which is basically a graveyard, and he is approached by this man. It says, when Jesus stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. This is awesome because it lets us know that the presence of Jesus torments demons. And so we ought to always invite the presence of Jesus into our homes, into our lives, into our marriages, and definitely into our churches because uh, we don't want demons to be comfortable in our presence. We want them to be tormented by our presence because we are present with the Lord. So that's a great side note. Then verse 29 uh, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him. And he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demons into the wilderness. So this man has been going absolutely crazy, beating himself, cutting himself, running around. He's naked. He doesn't have a home. There's no family there. Everybody's abandoned him. It seems that there's absolutely no hope. And it just turns out that Jesus visits this graveyard. So Jesus shows up. This man comes running to him. The demons are crying out of him. There's a lot of drama here. I can't really imagine what the disciples felt because um, they're just kind of standing behind Jesus while this conversation between Jesus and demons is happening. And Jesus is just confidently casting out these legion of demons. And he tells them, go. And they go into the pigs and the pigs run off the, the cliff and all drown. And the, the demons have left the man. And so the story continues in, in verse 33. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what happened, they fled and told it in the city and the country. Uh, so basically the people who own the pigs start running around telling everybody this man just put demons in my pigs and they ran into the ocean and killed themselves. This is their livestock. And so this is a crazy, crazy scene unfolding. 35, they th then they went out to see what happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. So the town comes running in because these people who own the pigs ran into the city and told the city 
there's Jesus. This man is is in our town. He just drove the demons out of the crazy man that's been in the in the tombs and in the graves. He drove the demons into the pigs and the pigs went and killed themselves. Now all our livestock is gone and this is crazy. So here comes the town running. Everybody wants to see what's really going on. And they get there to see an incredible thing. This man who had been cutting himself, uh, he's running around naked. He's absolutely out of control. He's so uh, empowered by demonic spirits. He's breaking chains and breaking shackles off of himself. He's out there. Uh, howling and hissing and spitting and he's freaking out and they come back and they see him sitting down that's that by itself is probably an incredible sight at this point seeing that this man ran through the tombs just wild he's sitting down and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus he's clothed and he's in his right mind and I think the most peculiar part of this story to me is right in between him sitting down and him being in his right mind. And that is the part where this demon-possessed man who's now free is clothed. Because when the disciples show up with Jesus, he's naked. He's running around. I'm sure if he had clothes, they're ripped to pieces uh, shredded, filthy, and dirty. But when these people come in from the town, having heard this news, they find this man clothed. And that tells me that either Jesus or one of his 12 disciples gave this man some of their clothes. And this to me is really the beauty of this text. Now it's an incredible story and you can pull a million things out. I encourage you to read it over and over and over and over again and see how much power is just in this chapter. But this is the part that seems to grip my heart the most. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. There's peace. He's been delivered from this torment, this ter turmoil in his soul. Uh, and he's finally just at a place of rest. Beautiful. He's in his right mind, which I'm sure people didn't even think was possible anymore. Seeing him foaming at the mouth, howling at the moon, breaking apart tombstones, and, and just running wild. But the part that gets me is that he's got clothes on now because he was naked. So somebody out of that group of men uh, gave this man their clothes and covered him. They covered up his shame where he's naked and exposed in front of everybody. They, they covered up his shame. They covered up the fact that he's cold and he doesn't have any kind of protection. They clothed him and covered him. And this is a picture of love that we see here in, in Luke 8. We see a picture of of not only the love of Jesus to drive out demons and wow, do this incredible stuff, but to see that Jesus and his disciples took the time to simply say, you know what, you're naked and you need clothes. And this, this has two meanings because number one, we ought to clothe people who don't have clothes. We see that in Matthew 25, 35, and 36. Um, you, give the, the, you give the naked some clothes. But we see another entire meaning here where this man's shame is completely covered, where a group of men accept him, love him, take him in because Jesus did, and then they cover him, 
and defend him and show, no, this is what redemption looks like. This is what grace looks like. Yeah, he was naked. He was crazy, but now he's clothed and now he's in his right mind. So this is now a new man. And so we see this picture of, no, we didn't just clothe you naturally, but you've also been clothed in, in your soul. And this is something that we, we see uh, very clearly we are called to do throughout the gospel as people that follow Christ. We are those that clothe people in grace and mercy. We clothe people and cover their shame. And then we also give to people in their practical needs. You need something, we take care of you. You need clothes, we give you clothes. You need grace, we give you grace. You need mercy, we give you mercy. You need to be forgiven, we will forgive where you have hurt us as the Lord has forgiven us us where we have hurt other people. So we see a picture of what discipleship looks like. It looks like clothing nakedness in the natural and in the spiritual and in the soul. And then if you jump over to 1 Corinthians 13, you see everybody, what everybody calls, you know, the chapter of love, you know, easily preached, easily talked about, but very difficult to live out. And I know that on a personal level, I can preach the fire out of this chapter, but then it puts a fire under me whenever I have to live it. So, uh, yes, it's the chapter of love. Yes, it's beautiful. But this is one of the most suffering chapters you will ever read this chapter if you try to live it you will suffer you will go through it because um you know we see the passion of the christ and um we just think of this like yes jesus's uh total commitment to the to the will of his father he was passionate but the word passion actually comes from the word to suffer suffering so Passion and love come with suffering. And so I know everybody calls 1 Corinthians um, the, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 the chapter of love. But I kind of call it the chapter of suffering because you're going to suffer if you do it. So 1 Corinthians 13, you see uh, Paul tell us how to love people. You see patience, you see kindness, you see forgiveness, you see being uh, gentle, you see not being proud and haughty. And ultimately what you see in 1 Corinthians 13 throughout that chapter is, is love. And 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, love never fails. And when you look at all of the breakdown of that text in the chapter, it comes to one thing. You put other people before yourselves. You jump back over to Luke 8 and you look at the situation where you see a naked man. You have Jesus and his disciples who already don't travel with much at all. They travel on faith. That's what's in the bank account. Faith. That's what's on their back. Faith. That's what's in their lunch boxes. Faith. They're living on faith. So you come to this man who's naked and he needs everything you have. Your first instinct is, hold on, bro. Like, you're not getting my clothes and I only have two coats. And then you see Jesus clearly earlier say you got two coats, give one away. And so you, you see these men who are with Jesus, not having very much because of the life, because they have much faith. And then, um, so it'd be, it would be difficult for them to 
just simply say, oh, you know, take my clothes and take my stuff. I've only got one, you know, go ahead and take it. But this is the, this is the great call of love. That's what love looks like. And you see here in 1 Corinthians 13, everything is about putting somebody before yourself. And just as they did in, in, in this chapter in Luke, somebody in that group put themselves to the side. These clothes are no longer mine. They never were mine. These clothes are this man's. This man who's been touched by God, redeemed. This man who's just been washed of his sin, delivered from his past. This, these clothes are his. These are no longer mine. He now comes before me. Take some of what's mine. It's now yours. That's the beautiful picture of love. That's what love looks like. And so we see this all throughout the scripture, a constant, constant place of giving yourself away for other people. What do Christians look like? What do, what do disciples look like? They look like givers, giving of themselves, not just your natural stuff. Yes, give, some, give your clothes, give your food, give your money, give your car, give your stuff, but also you give of your soul. You give away Parts of yourself that's hard to give, like forgiveness. You give forgiveness. I know how hard that is. I'm sure you do too. It is something that has to be given. I forgive you. Giving grace. Giving mercy. Giving your time. Giving your attention. Giving your efforts. Giving your energy to people. That's love. Disciples and Christians look like givers. They look like the ones that when you run into that demon-possessed man, you don't just walk away. But you stop and you take time not only to drive the demon out, but to clothe him in the process. And this is our high call. Not to be great preachers, not to be great teachers, not to be great prophets, not to be a successful businessman for the kingdom, not to be any of these things. Incredible worship leader leading millions into the presence. No, your great call, your high call from God is to love, to love the demon possessed, to love the lowest of the low, the ones out there drooling on themselves, foam coming out of their mouth, convulsing, cutting themselves with stones and howling at the moon. And that's crazy, but that's the crazy love of the gospel. And that is what we are called to do. Clothe the nakedness. Clothe those, clothe those who need to be clothed in grace and love and mercy and forgiveness every way possible that you can cover somebody's life. 1 Peter 4.8 says, love covers a multitude of sins. Love clothes a multitude of sins. It puts a covering. It, it covers that person and loves that person and protects them. It doesn't shame them. This is a, a, a great moment for Jesus to make this man stand up and just start you know, saying everything he did wrong and calling it out in front of the town and telling the man, now you need to apologize to this town for the chaos that you have caused here. 
Tell him you're sorry. Apologize to these people about these pigs. You need to tell everybody you're sorry for all this wrong that you've done. But Jesus doesn't do that. He lets this man sit at his feet in peace. And he stands next to him or sits next to him with absolute love and acceptance for this man as if he's, as if he's one of his own disciples. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So to follow Jesus, to be a Christian, to be a disciple, what does it look like? It looks like you clothe naked people, people who are embarrassed by their sin, and then people who are actually in need of being clothed. We take care of people at every possible level. And no matter what the extreme is of the place that they're in, we go to those places. Jesus didn't call this demon into the, into the tabernacle, into the church, into the temple. He wasn't out, bring the demon-possessed man to the church. No, Jesus went to the graveyard, to the demon. He went to the graveyard, to the man, to cast the demons out of him. He didn't, he didn't give his disciples flyers and ask him to go lay him in the graveyard to hope the demon-possessed man saw the flyer in the church time. And then he came to the church service. No, Jesus got in a boat, went through a storm, and went to this man. This is a picture of great discipleship. In Colossians 3, 1, we see the words say, If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, when Christ, who is our life, life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, and on and on. And so we see a clear picture here of how to live our lives on earth. Live them for eternity. Live them for the next life. Live them with your eyes set on Christ Jesus. Live this life with that life in mind. It says set your mind on those things. Think about the things that are to come. If your mind is consumed by the things that are on the earth, you're consumed with your possessions. You're consumed with what you have. You're consumed with being safe and secure in all these different ways. Then you cannot have your mind set on being safe and secure in the kingdom of God. And so if we have this mindset where we think about eternal things and we're living for Christ, we're living to please him and we're living for the next life, it becomes easy for you to clothe those who need clothes. It becomes easy for you to give of yourself where other people have needs. It becomes, it becomes a desire for you to love other people more than you love yourself. It becomes your life's work to find those that are naked naturally and in their soul, in their shame, and to cover them 
and clothe them. It becomes your nature when you set your mind on the kingdom because you're just thinking, look, I'm not trying to live my life to uh, bump up my bank account. I'm not trying to live my life to get as many cars in the driveway as I can get and have this great social standing, be able to take care of my kids. I I don't live this life just for me and my family and for us to live inside of a a protected bubble and, and for us to be safe and to be sound and have all of our needs met. No, I live this life for the next life. So me and my family constantly are surrendering everything we have to God. And when we see people in need, we give. When we see hurting people, we give out of ourselves love and comfort. When we see angry people, we give out of ourselves patience. When we see broken people, we give out of the whole relationship that we have with God, that place of wholeness where we're intimate with the Lord. We share that place with other people, leading them into an intimate place with God. When we see people who do not have groceries, we get them groceries. When we see people who do not have shoes, we get them shoes. If they don't have water, we get them water. If they don't have clothes, we get them clothes because I'm pressing toward another kingdom. I'm, I'm living my life for the next one. So everything I have, I'm looking, how can I use this for the kingdom? Because true discipleship is to be disciplining yourself for the life you're going to live in heaven. So how can I do that here? How can I work at that here? You die to yourself. You die to yourself. Verse 3, Colossians 3, 3, for you died. Man, that's so powerful. Just this one sentence is loaded and can change your whole life. You've died. Why do you have so many opinions when you're dead? Why do you have so many possessions when you're dead? Why do you own so much and have so much when you're dead? Dead men don't have opinions. Dead men don't have possessions and dead men don't have rights. They're dead. And this this is clearly telling us you have died. Your your rights to own your stuff without God's authority over it is is just not it's just not it. These things that you have, you have because God has blessed you as we see uh, the Lord tell Abraham, blessed to be a blessing. That's what this is about. I've given you th- I've given you these things for you to give these things. Everything I give you is for the benefit of other people. Everything I give you is for you to bless the lives of other people. So you have died. So you don't get to hold on to your stuff and have all of your rights and have all of your opinions about it and have all of your mansions and all of your garages and all of your storages. No, because you've died. So you're too busy giving and giving and giving and giving. You have died and your life is in Christ. Man, your life is now in Christ. Is Your life isn't in those clothes. Your life isn't in those cars. Your life isn't in those people. Your life isn't in success. Your life isn't in your dreams coming true. Your life is not in marriage. Your life is not in your children. This is why we can't idolize the family and worship the family more than we worship God. Because your life is not hidden in your family. Your life is hidden in Christ. 
This is the place we live our lives from. This, this verse right here. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Therefore, put to death all the foolishness. Put to death being able to just do your own thing and come to life to Christ, which is coming alive to love, coming alive to giving, coming alive to sacrificing, where you see somebody who needs and you give. You see somebody who needs and you give. You see the naked man and you clothe him. If then you were raised with Christ, seek out those things. If you were raised with Christ, seek out those Christ things. Set your mind on them. My challenge, my encouragement to you is put your mind where your life will be. You're going to be in the kingdom of God one day. You're going to be before your father. You're going to be with Jesus. You're going to live with the spirit, with a family, the church who truly believed and called on Jesus and persecution and trial and never backed down from him. That's your future. And Colossians 3 says, set your mind on that future, not on the current day, because the current day is temporary, but the future day is eternal. Set your mind on the eternal things. And this will put you in a position where when you see somebody naked and you have the clothes to give to them, you will give it. And when you see somebody hurting in their souls and you know that you've got love and you know that you have peace and you know that you have uh, something to give out of God's character, you go to them and you share and you give that. Because that's the life of a disciple. That's the life of a Christian. That's the life of somebody who knows I'm going to live in eternity with God. So live your life seeking who can I give my clothes to. Let this encourage you to take this before God on your own. Get in a place where it can just be you and him. And ask him about his heart. And whatever he tells you, take it, do it, and don't ever look back.